welcome to the Stoller Insights Podcast, everybody. My name is Eric Starr. We've got my cousin Matt Norlander, head of CBS there at uh, Future Writing for Basketball, College of Basketball there. How you doing, Matt? I'm doing great, buddy. Back gl- Glad to be back on the podcast with you and uh, an unusually timed one because normally we save it for after the season. But given how good the Arizona schools look and uh, we got some intriguing prospects, you know, why not? Let's, uh, let's have a pre-Christmas chat here. Yes, we definitely want to get um, a little head start here on the uh, – um, these prospects that are coming up here, we just to kind of set the stage for the college season so that listeners can understand what's happening there and then see how it rolls forward to the draft. So why don't we talk about those Arizona schools? I went to ASU, as most people listening probably know, and while I was there, they were not this good, that's for sure. It was not noticeable. I mean, you didn't really almost, in a sense, care about how good they were. And now they're, what, ranked third in the country? Yeah, it's, they're tied for their best ranking ever. When, by the way, their previous ranking at number three came back in the 1960s. That is amazing, and it's—I mean—it seems like it's based on their guard system and what the coach is doing. Yeah, listen, it's been—it's been really fun to see how these guards have grown to be such dominant forces, uh, individually and collectively. Cody Justice, Shannon Evans, who by the way played at Buffalo under Bobby Hurley. Um, and then Trey Holder is uh, capable of dropping 26, 27 points on, on many an opponent. Uh, for them to run this kind of system, and I don't know if you saw, but their most recent game, they did not even attempt. Did you see this graphic that was going around? They did not even attempt a mid-range jump shot, which is, uh, that's modern basketball. To so they're the Rockets. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, I want to see if that continues with Arizona State. Um, who is very worthy of that number three ranking right now. But in coming back and beat, they were actually down. That most recent game came against Vanderbilt on Sunday, uh, December 17th. And they came back and wound up winning by, by 12 points. Um, but a, a fantastic team and has defeated Kansas on the road. For those listening that might not be familiar with this, Bill Self has only lost 11 times in his coaching history uh, with the Jayhawks at home, it almost never happens. It happens basically less than once a season. And sure enough, Arizona State got it, but they also have a win over Xavier, which is really good. Kansas State might be an NCAA tournament team this season. San Diego State might be an NCAA tournament team this season. And Arizona State has defeated all of them. They are a top-five offense in America right now. Um, they're never going to be uh, really good defensively, but they're going to try and outscore teams. Um, they're averaging... I think it's now in the high 80s, um, and they'll probably settle. They'll probably settle anywhere between that 84 to 88 points per game mark. I think when we get to the end of the season, but Trey Holder, Shannon Evans, Cody Justice are all really good. Remy Martin's a freshman guard who's also very, very good. It's a it's a good team, and this is certainly a, a you would never expect an Arizona State team to start 10 and 0 because the program just doesn't have that kind of history. But they were hoping to be good. I actually was one of the few people uh, nationally who thought Arizona State was going to get to the NCAA tournament this season, but they were looked as maybe a year away, truthfully, maybe like a, a two or three seed in the NIT for the season. But, no, they have uh, done so well out of conference that if they can just even stay 500 in Pac-12 play, which obviously is going to happen, they're going to get into the NCAA tournament. And when they do that, Eric, it will be the first time since 2014 Arizona State's got there. And for Hurley, this will mark the second straight coaching stop for him that he's really done the uh, the borderline unprecedented, if not unprecedented, Um he was at Buffalo. That program had never made the NCAA tournament before he got there. He took him there, and that got him the Arizona State job. And now we see a 10-0 start, um, which is, you know, it matches the second-best start in uh, in program history in this number three ranking. It's a, it's a pretty cool thing to see. And 
uh, the Sun Devils, uh, who don't often uh, get the chance and opportunity to label themselves as a true uh, contemporary rival to their in-state brother Arizona. That's not the case this year. And both those teams are really, really good. And in a fun little twist, they actually start Pac-12 play with each other on Saturday, December 30th. Um, that's going to be awesome. And uh, Arizona State is going to have to travel to Tucson. My my bet here, obviously, is that uh, ASU will take its first loss of the season at Arizona on 12:30. Definitely possible. I think I heard today. I think Trey had a that tied the NCAA record for assists. I think he had 22. That was Trey. That's Trey Young, not Trey Holder. Okay. Trey Young in Oklahoma, who is a, a freak baller, and we will get to in a second when we talk yeah, about we'll, him. Yeah, we'll talk about him. I knew same, similar. Clearly, I'm not a college basketball writer, which is why I'm <laughs> talking to you. Um, so uh, so they're doing really good. Uh, they're, yeah, it's just amazing. Um, what about Arizona? Arizona was an interesting case right now. Um, they're 9-3. and three. They had three losses in the Bahamas uh, when they played their November, their November tournament, the Battle for Atlantis, and they lost North Carolina State, who won't make the NCAA tournament, SMU, who might make the NCAA tournament, I think should, and they lost to Purdue, which is a team that I actually think is good enough to make the Final Four, but they lost to Purdue by 25 points. Now, at that point, Arizona was 3-3, three and three, and it was uh, certainly a bizarre-looking team because it had gone from you know number two, number three in the rankings to falling out of the AP poll. It's very, very hard to do that, but the, the move was warranted. Since then, Arizona got an overtime win at UNLV on December 2nd, and that was the game I watched. UNLV should have won that game. It blew it. Uh, but nevertheless, Arizona gets the win. Then it follows that up with a win in Phoenix against Texas A&M. That Texas A&M team might be the best team in the SEC. Then beats Alabama. Now that game was in Tucson, but Alabama is probably going to be the NCAA tournament. They have a player on their team that we will get to shortly when we talk about top 10 NBA prospects. And they've since followed up with uh, with two predictable wins against New Mexico and North Dakota State. So right now Arizona is 9-3. and three. Um, they have a player we are also going to get to. Uh, you are seeing a theme here. A lot of the uh, teams we're touching on have uh, top ten prospects. Um, so I'll save my eight and talk for uh, for a few minutes from now. But Alonzo Trier, Dusan Ristich, Parker Jackson Cartwright playing point guard. Ristich is a big. And Raleigh Alkins getting healthy coming into that lineup. Emmanuel Acott as a freshman. Isn't getting a ton of minutes yet. We'll see. I think Arizona when healthy, is the most talented team in college basketball. We'll see if they're able to sustain this going forward. Um, all I know is I would really like to see both Arizona and Arizona State continue to win uh, a lot and for the Pac-12 race to come down to, to between those two teams just because we never see that ever between those ever, two. Specifically ever. Ever. Yep. The last, I mean, people say, like, you think about, oh, who has ASU had that's ever been good at basketball in the NBA? It's James Harden. That list basically starts and ends with James Harden. Um, pretty much, and Arizona has, I mean, has a handful of players, had, uh, them, but yeah. not too many. You're right, but uh, but ASU also had, oh uh, man, I'm blanking on the name. House, House, House. What was this? Eddie, Ho- Eddie House. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But James Harden's twice as good as Eddie House. Oh, without a doubt. But House made the league and, and could get buckets. He did. Yeah. He could get buckets. I remember him on the Suns. He was for occasionally sure. good. And then uh, they've had a couple more, but yeah, Harden's by far the best ever. And it just you can't even compare the guys who have come out of Arizona versus the guys out of Arizona. For sure. Um, I want to touch on where you think they'll end up in the in the tournament, like the seeding ranks, but I also want to talk about GCU. Um, as there, I believe this is the first year they're tournament eligible. And Dan mm-hmm. Marley has them playing pretty well. What do you think about them? Do you think they can make it? Yeah. Uh, let's go to Grand Canyon first. Um, yes, I think they can make it. I predicted they would be the best team in their league to start the season. Uh, Marley has done 
a much better job there in a quicker amount of time than I think a lot of people expected. They've been good in recent years, too. Now they're 8-3. and three. Uh, Their losses are all respectable. They lost to San Diego. San Diego might be a top-three team in the West Coast Conference, so for Grand Canyon to lose that game, granted it was at home, um, it's not brutal. Uh, San Diego has gotten much improved in the past two years under Lamont Smith. Then Grand Canyon lost against St. John's. St. John's right now is a top-50 team at Ken Palm. Um, I'm not sold on St. John's being an NCAA tournament team, but I don't think that's a bad loss for Grand Canyon. And the other loss was at Boise State. No shame in that because Boise State's a top-two team in the Mountain West, in my opinion. Um, so within the WAC, I do think this is going to be the best team in that league. Um, some interesting challenges coming for Grand Canyon. They play Louisville two days before Christmas. They still have a road game against Illinois on the schedule that comes a week after that Louisville game. Would be interested to see if Grand Canyon could pick off Illinois, who's not that good this season. Um, I'm very intrigued by that, but... Uh, my, as we sit here, uh, you know, just, you know, less than a week before Christmas, my prediction is that Grand Canyon will make the NCAA tournament and be a 14 seed, eh, 15 seed, probably a 15. Put me down for a 15. As for Arizona State and Arizona, big picture, I'm saying Arizona wins the Pac-12. Um, by doing that, I think it's going to get – see here, I think it's going to be a three seed, and that's not common for the winner of a of a power conference to get a low seed like that. Usually if you yeah. can win a league, you're going to get a one or a two. But I think those losses are going to hurt Arizona, and I also think that Arizona is going to lose at least three more games. Now, I think it's going to, still going to win the Pac-12, but you're going to have six or seven losses at that point in my opinion, and there's going to be too many other teams that have done too many good things in their non-conference at this point that are going to be ahead of them. So put me down for the Wildcats as a number three, and put me down for Arizona State, who I think will taper off a little bit but get into the NCAA tournament with plenty of ease. I'm going to say um, – I think I'm going to say a, a number oh, – man, it's a tough one. I'll say a five. Um and a five at this point, like right now, if we started the tournament today, Arizona State would be a one seed. So yeah. five means they're dropping a bit. I think their lack of defense might pinch them a little. The Pac-12 isn't super difficult. So I, what actually I think is going to happen here is that they should have a lot of success. They're probably going to take on a few damaging losses in that league to teams that are not going to be in the, in the conversation to get into the tournament. And so that might cha- cause their uh, their seed to dip a little bit. What I will acknowledge is this. By saying that Arizona State is a five, that means that somebody else is going to leapfrog Arizona State in the Pac-12 standings. I do not believe that if Arizona is the best team in the Pac-12 and Arizona State's the second best team, that ASU Arizona would be a three and then ASU would be a five. I think in that situation, ASU would probably be a four. Um, what we might have happen here is that USC or UCLA uh, winds up really rallying and and just finishing ahead of ASU. I like a lot of what Arizona State has, but they're in an, uh, an unusual spot here. Let's see how they handle success. Sure. Let's see how that defense holds up. And the bottom line is, if I told Arizona State fans before the season, hey, I am giving you a 10-0 start and guaranteeing you a five-seed in the NCAA tournament, will you take that or will you chance whatever else happens? Every Arizona State fan would take that. No doubt about it. You would take that, and uh, and we'll see what comes. But, yeah, put me down for the Sun Devils, five seed. Absolutely. Um, we'll get to the main players in a second here, but what are, um, other than other than Arizona State, and what are some other interesting uh, storylines that you've been seeing as the season begins? Um, yeah, you say it begins, and yet we are uh, we're six weeks in, my man. We're almost done with non-con- Yeah, we're almost I'm done with football. 
it is, uh, it's been a, it's been a fun and interesting season. The, uh, one storyline is you always try and track these unbeaten teams. Arizona State's one of them, but there's only a handful left. Villanova, still undefeated, looking pretty good. Um, I think they're the best team in college basketball right now, personally. Miami in the ACC is still undefeated. And, uh, TCU out of the Big 12 is still undefeated. Those are the only four teams without a loss as we record this podcast. Um, you usually have more than four teams on December 19th without a loss. Usually it's around seven, eight, or nine. Um, so it's a little funky to see that. Uh, Storylines, you know, in, in terms of on-the-court stuff, I would say Duke um, being a fun mystery with all of its youth. It's been interesting. I'd say the lack of a Kentucky storyline at this point is a storyline to itself. They're nine and one. They're so, so young. Um, we're not sure how good or not this Kentucky team is. So we wait and see on them. Um, the Big 12 is the best league in college basketball at this point. All of the metrics empirically declare that to be true. And given that, you know, we are about 85% of the way through non-conference play, that's going to remain the case for the entire season because once these leagues start playing each other, you can't strengthen your conference rating. You've already played all of your uh, games against other conferences, so by playing each other, you cannot up your own rating. So the Big 12 will be definitively the best league in America, and what I wait to see is, will the Big 12, let's see how these next 10 days go. Um, the Big 12, will it have a situation when we get to mid-January and look at the league and say, nine of these 10 teams in this league, and yes, it is the Big 12 and there are only 10 teams in, but that's a whole other kettle of fish. Um, <laughs> Will nine of these ten teams be in serious consideration for the NCAA tournament? If that is the case, and right now it can very well be the case, it will be unprecedented, and it will be really, really interesting. So the Big 12 looks like the best league overall. A few teams have been surprising. A few teams have been disappointing, but that kind of stuff happens every year. In fact, I'll have a story up at cbsports.com on Thursday that details some of my biggest surprises. Don't want to spoil any of that on the podcast here. Um... But I'd say broadly, that's it. And then Trey Young, who we're going to get to when we talk about prospects. The, the play of Trey Young has been uh, just unprecedented. The, uh, the what he is doing from a from a distribution standpoint uh, in in assists, he leads the nation in assists, and how he's able to score. Uh, he is producing at a higher level than any freshman. Um, I won't say ever, but it is getting to a point where, like in the past 15, 20 years, we have not seen someone at this point. Do as much as Trey Young is doing for Oklahoma right now. Can he sustain this? I don't know. If he does, it is going to be just an amazing thing and a really cool thing to watch. And, of course, there's the off-the-court stuff that everybody knows about. Yeah. What do you think about that off-the-court stuff, just out of curiosity? As someone who loves the NBA, doesn't want to follow college a ton, what's your what are your thoughts on it? It's really interesting. I mean, the whole idea about vacated wins and all that stuff with all these – with all the – in the uh, in all the stuff going on with the coaches and stuff. It's really interesting to me just because you're never going to see that in the NBA. Um, like someone, yep. you win and then you say, oh, you didn't really win even though no one else won. So what are you going to mm-hmm. do? Um, and it just, I, I saw a thing today about uh, shortening or not being able to uh, put a coach, uh, get them in the Hall of Fame or whatever um, while they're still playing. Right. Well, while they're still active, I, that was what was thought to be the case. What's actually happened here, and I've got a column that's up at CBSports.com by the time this podcast is live. Because when the, that press release was 
was put out, the first part of it seems to indicate that that's the case, but that's not the case. What the case is is that coaches currently have to be 50 years old uh, in order to be inducted. Now they're moving it back to 60, and you have to have 25 years of coaching experience, but you can still go in while you're active. I happen to think it's a mistake. Um, I will point listeners to that column for more reasons of why that is a mistake, and it goes beyond just the current FBI investigation. I was actually surprised to see that the Hall of Fame did not entirely change its criteria for inclusion as a coach. Uh, for the player side, real quick, it used to be you had to wait five years to get into the Hall of Fame. Come 2020, that rule will change to just three years. So with players like LeBron James, Kevin Durant, um, who's someone that maybe is still going to be in the game the next three years, it's a Hall of Famer, but will retire in 2020 or 2021. I'm trying to think Dirk, of that way. Dirk, Wade? Uh, way. Here's my – see – yeah, Wade is not going to make it to 2020. Dirk is not going to make it to 2020. Who else? Oh, you're, you're talking about who's someone who'll still be playing then? Who will probably retire around 2020 or 2021. That's a Hall of Famer for sure. Who do we think that would be? Who falls in that category? And who will be gone by then? What age is that then? Probably saying someone who's 34 right now. Oh, like, Pau Gasol? Yeah. Pau Gasol's a Hall of Famer, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> With Olympic play and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so he's a guy that's probably only going to have to wait. Well, he'll wait three years for consideration. He might not be a first ballot guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, first ballot's kind of tough. First so. ballot is tough, yeah. But he's up there. So, he, he might be someone that affects that. About the um, the uh, college uh, rules, was there something more specific you were asking me about what my thoughts were on that? I just wondered just in general what your impression of was the FBI stuff. And you're right. You don't see that at the NBA level. It's just a whole different kind of thing. And, in fact, that's why a lot of coaches would never even – coach at the college level because they don't want to deal with that garbage <laughs> and I mean, really it's it's not even just that it's that it's that the coaches like decide everything which kind of bug, bugs me a little bit even though i'm gonna be a coach so i don't know why that bugs me but um so yeah so it's very interesting for sure why don't we jump into these uh, players i want to kind of get a feel for the play well the suns are going to have at least one pick there in the top five probably um they're diving with the hawks the bulls um, the Mavericks a little bit for that bottom four seeds. Lakers a little bit too. Um, they're going to be probably get a top five pick. Uh, so the question is, what are these top ten people looking like, and what are their fits? What are they projected as? Well, very big question. First of all, I have no idea what the projected order is right now. So oh, let's no. let's obviously acknowledge that. The teams that are 1 through 10 right now for the lottery, like some of them are obviously going to be in there, but the order won't be the same. And then oh, yeah. You know. So do you want to talk – let's talk um, – how about this? Like do you want to just ask me about certain player and yes. then I'll give you a rundown? Yeah, that's what you want. Hit, you can hit on, you know, seven, eight college dudes. Do not ask me about Doncic. I have not seen this dude at all. Apparently he's a beast. <laughs> Uh, might be in play for number one, which speaks to how good he is with the other guys that are there. But, uh, yeah, fire name and I'll give you, I'll give you both my opinion. And if I've talked to some scouts about some of these guys, which I have, uh, I'll just kind of give you, uh, some of the, some of what I'm going to say here might be, uh, some informed opinion based off of what I've heard from scouts. For sure. And just to see what the Suns have, they either, they, they need a point guard, which is amazing considering the last couple of years. Um, and, or they need a, uh, four or five. So, um, depends on what Chris and Bender are and, uh, who they resigned. But uh, what about Marvin Bagley? Marvin Bagley the third is a 
player at the college level who can put up 25 points and 12 rebounds and make it look extremely casual. That is a skill that is truly rare. Because whereas like DeAndre Ayton is also very good and can kind of do it casually, you can see him working his skill set. Bagley almost feels like he is going at 70% and saving his best stuff for when he gets to the NBA. Um, he can do so many things well, and I mean so many things. You will often hear about prospects that are six foot ten that can pass and that can rebound, that can see the floor, that can know spacing. While that is true with a lot of these cases, very few prospects at Bagley's size of six foot ten. Maybe he's six eleven. I don't know if he's really six eleven. To me, when I when I uh, he seems six ten, but who knows, right? Um, and but these inches matter to scouts and GMs. Every centimeter matters. Um, he truly has a skill set that is very different at this level and in how advanced he is versus a lot of other guys. Mike Krzyzewski said in Portland at the PK80, which I covered, that Bagley is made of uh, the same kind of stuff from talent and work ethic and attitude that most of the guys that play for Team USA that he coached in the Olympics were made of. And he said that in front of Bagley and – Krzyzewski is not the kind of coach that's just going to put that out there for any kind of player, particularly in front of them, because uh, if certain players kind of hear that from a head coach, it might uh, entitle them or enable them to a certain kind of other mindset. Um, Bagley's not built like that. He will be – I don't see how he is not a top three pick lock, okay? Um, at his size, what he can do, he's still got to get a little bit better from from deep. He's not a perfect player. None of these players are perfect players. No player ever in the history of the draft has walked in as a perfect player. But he is uh, about what you could expect, uh, as close to perfect as you would want uh, for the long term. I think the great thing about Bagley is that he's going to come in, and I expect him to adapt to the NBA immediately, and then he will get better and better and better Year one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I don't think he'll hit his. I mean, he might. He'll hit his prime maybe when he's at twenty-three. I don't think he'll hit his peak until his mid to late twenties, and by then he could be. I think he has potential to be like a top three player in the NBA seven, eight years from now. That's amazing. So from the beginning part of your analysis, there you said how easily he affects, and this is of course not talking about attitude, but that sounds to me a lot like Demarcus Cousins. What do you think? Well, no, Cousins had a reputation for a, a bad attitude. You That's know? what I'm saying. Apart, completely separating oh, the attitude. Oh, sets him apart part. from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Setting very, that apart, very It different. sounds like you're talking about Darius Cousins in terms of ease of what he, how he plays, how tall he is, how he, how he feels. Oh, before. yeah, yeah. When it comes to that, certainly, uh, they are different players, uh, in both body type and just the, you know, what Cousins was asked to do at Kentucky and then what he's grown into now. Um, I, I don't, I'm not huge on comparisons, so I don't even know, like, I've actually heard David Robinson for Bagley, which is, you know, maybe a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, you know, if you're a Suns fan and Bagley's on the board for you, uh, just it would be very hard not to take him. Very, so very is, hard. Is he uh, more of a, a small ball five, a regular five, yeah. a four? What is he? I think small ball five, personally. Okay. If you had uh, to For long-term minutes, like a Draymond, or is it more of a uh, – Long-term solution, like a playing small at center. Long-term solution, playing small at center, is my opinion. Very, very good. Well, let's go to the next person. What about um, DeAndre Ayton? DeAndre Ayton is a physical freak. He often looks like he's playing against CYO kids on the floor. 
He is extremely skilled. In fact, I think he is already really good defensively, but yet not even tapping into his uh, dominant defensive streak that he could grow into. I think that he has the potential to be a, again, this is potential. Who knows if he'll ever meet it. I think he can be a top five defender and top five offensive player at the NBA level. I think that at, if you took Bagley's absolute best and you took Aiton's absolute best, I think Aiton's absolute best is a little bit better than Bagley's. That's my opinion. Personally, you'll find a lot of people that disagree with that. Uh, but Aiton is very skilled. He can shoot. He can handle the ball well. Uh, he knows how to work around the rim, has very good footwork, and I continually find myself impressed with his game. As of right now, I actually think Aiton has been a better college player to this point than Bagley, and Bagley has been spectacular. Now that's where we're going to keep moving through these people, and then I'm going to have more of a quick-fire questions for them as a whole. Um, Michael Porter Jr., I believe he's out. I mean, he's out for the whole year. Um, what do you know about him? What do we know about the prospect? He's obviously not going to fall much because of the injury because he right. can't show badly. But what is he? What is he? Yeah, so he might not be out for the whole year, by the way. So he had a he had a back procedure done, and the rumor is that he could be on pace to return mid to late January and go play for Missouri. Let's hope we see that because it'd be a really cool college hoop story. Porter um, is naturally uh, gifted as a shooter and as a scorer, has good length, um, probably will thrive more as a three than a four at the NBA level. Uh, will probably go, I would say, anywhere from. I think his I think his ceiling is number three at this point. With what we it, let's also discuss this as if no one's getting injured, okay? So let's take injuries off the table. Um, if Porter shows to be healthy, then I think the uh, you know Doncic, uh, Aiton, Bagley, and Trey Young, all of those four, I think two of those four are going to just find themselves in the one and two pick, meaning that I think Porter at this point. His ceiling is number three, and I think if he's healthy, I think his floor is like seven. Um, has a lot of potential, um, is is very long, and uh, just needs to be a little more aggressive in my opinion. But I do like him as uh, as a pro at the next level, um, and I, I think that he, I think that he can grow into a better defender than he even already is, and I think that he already gets too much. Uh, crap for his defense. I actually think he's a better defender than he gets credit for. I have a comp for him right now in my head. I'm not sure if I'm. Not, I'm curious what you're gonna think of it. Um, peak Rudy Gay. Peak Rudy Gay. That's not bad at all. Um, Rudy Gay. Ah, oh man, that's a good call. Um, I actually like it. I haven't heard that. Yeah, I think that's relatively fair. Obviously, I haven't really seen him play, so I don't. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what he looks like. I, yeah, I usually compare people's shot releases and what it looks like too, and that along with the rest of the stuff. Let's start talking Muhammad Bamba. Muhammad Bamba is listed, I think, at seven feet. I think this dude is seven one minimally. Crazy long wingspan. <laughs> oh man, defensively, he is just tremendous. Offensively, he's never going to be uh, option one, two, or three on an NBA team. Probably not even option four. Now he wants to shoot, and he can shoot. He is just streaky, and by shoot, I mean he wants to shoot from 22 feet. Um, Texas has given that, given him that option here and there. It's just not part of his game right now, in my opinion. And it probably, uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he grows into that kind of threat at the NBA level. I know he wants to. Um, we'll see. Bamba is 
going to blow away every single interview he does. Um, there are some uh, curiosities about if he like truly loves basketball the way some other players in this draft like are just obsessed with the game. And on a personal level, I like seeing well-rounded human beings. I like interviewing people that are interesting and not just all basketball. But if you're running an NBA team and you've got a guy that lives and dies for the sport, obviously that's going to take that into account as well. Um, but uh, offensively, he's just he's still learning a lot. Defensively, he's good to go. We'd love to see him play with a little more aggression here and there. But uh, a terrific young man, and uh, and I just I, I'm so fascinated to see what he becomes uh, at the NBA level. And I am almost positive that he will be one tenth of the player in his rookie season of the NBA that he will wind up being by the time he's in like year eight or nine. Um, that sounds to me like Clint Capella. Yeah, Clint Capella, who, by the way, I couldn't pick out of a lineup, but I know that he has turned into a much better player than I ever thought he would be. At he the basically NBA. had a twenty twenty game yesterday, where they took a, a a rebound away and gave it to Chris Paul for a triple double. Wow, crazy. Um, yeah, so that's awesome. pretty that's pretty good. Um, what about uh, Colin Sexton? Colin Sexton is arrogant in a fun way, crazy competitive streak, most competitive player in this draft. A point guard with amazing speed could be the fastest player in the NBA in one or two years. Um, Aston Wall and um, yes. everybody else. Yes, yes, yes. That that quick, that fast, uh, and he'll be. I yes, in two years from now, yes, Colin Sexton will be a faster player than John Wall. Father Time is going to catch up with yeah. Wall. I mean, Wall's like almost thirty, right? Yeah. So it, it, Sexton is a uh, is a good three point shooting point guard. Um, will not back down from a challenge from anyone. Uh, he is wired differently than a lot of guys, and I would suspect Sexton will go anywhere from 5 to 10. By the time we get to the NBA draft, he is certainly intriguing and is uh, one of the top two point guards in this class. Is he more of a scorer or more of a passer? Sounds like more of a scorer. He's more of a scorer, but he can, he can pass. I'd actually like to see him pass a little bit more. But almost by necessity, with this team that he's on right now, he's, I think he's, fe- he's feeling the compulsion to score a bit more. Uh, what about Miles Bridges? Miles Bridges is the sophomore. He's the first uh, non-freshman we are talking about here. Miles Bridges is he is probably going to be. Uh, one scout put it to me that he thinks Miles Bridges will have a successful NBA career. Um, may or may not ever get to one or two all-star games and probably at best will be a third option on an NBA team for scoring, but has great athleticism, is going to be certainly a player of value uh, from day one at the NBA level. I love watching him play. Um, I think he is uh, is going to fall in the draft, like not fall crazy. I'm talking like he could be anywhere from the seventh pick to the 12th or 13th pick, and that's just because... There are other guys that are going to be taken ahead of him that just have skill sets that Bridges doesn't quite have yet. Now, he has developed a more reliable mid-range and three-point shot, which is good, uh, but I think scouts still want to see even more of that. Obviously, I haven't heard really too much about him, but that sounds like Malcolm Brogdon from what you're saying originally, but maybe that's not. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, a better defender, absolutely, as a college player. Not nearly the scorer that Bridges already is. Not nearly the athlete that Bridges already is. Um, that's an, I, they are not, compa- they are not like, uh, that's not like a, a comparison that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, I didn't hear enough about him to, to, to see that for sure. Something that came to my mind. What about Jaron Jackson Jr.? Um, 
I think he should probably come back to college for a second season. But if he is, so he has a, he's, you know, he's a. I don't know if he's a I don't know if he's a four or five or he's like a combo. Um, he's really long. He's really young, and so he's already showing a lot of signs of growth already. And a lot of scouts are very interested in him because um, what he's able to do well already with his footwork, with his shooting, with his defense, uh, the way that he's able to grow each game. His, his per forty stats are really really good. Um, they just project well to someone who's going to become. Uh, a reliable player at the NBA level. Uh, maybe he goes after one year. I'd love to see him return and really just get his game even better at the college level. Uh, if he goes, I expect him to be a lottery pick, though. And uh, in terms of a comp, I have no idea because this kid is raw, and yet there is some polish to his game, and he's still he's still got plenty of miles to go. I, I don't know who uh, the right comparison to be with with him right now. Okay, what about uh, Trey Young that we were talking about before? Trey Young, this kid, you know, I sat down with him for an hour in Portland and, uh, you know, to just to write a feature. And at that point, he had been playing pretty well to start his freshman season. Uh, but that was, um, we're coming up on almost a month ago here. And what has happened since with Trey Young is remarkable. Um, he is the, by far, front runner for national player of the year in college basketball at this point. He is leading the nation in scoring almost 30 points a game. He is leading the nation in assists at 10 assists a game and has become uh, a star and I think can be a superstar at the college level by the time we get to mid-January if he keeps this up. There have not been many players in the history of college basketball who have averaged double-digit assists and points and the number is even fewer if you go to double-digit assists and 20-plus points. Now, some of that is because assists were not an official statistic until 1983-84 at the NCAA level, which is, of course, maddening, um, because I wonder if someone like Pete Maravich at LSU, how many assists he had and, and plenty of other players that came before him. Nevertheless, Trey Young was not even considered a top-20 recruit in his own high school class. He was considered a five-star recruit, but he was not considered a top 20 recruit. And the reason that was is because of his size, is because he was not seen as someone that was a true uh, want-to-pass point guard, uh, lacked athleticism, lacked quickness, still a five-star prospect, but not an elite one, the same way, the way that Colin Sexton was considered an elite prospect in his own class. Well, Trey Young has walked into an offense that has allowed him to have complete control. He gets his teammates involved. He's got a great first step. He's got a good hesitation dribble. He understands the game. He's a student of the game. He has studied tape of pros for a long time. His dad played in Europe for a, basically a decade after getting a cup of coffee in the NBA, and it shows in Trey Young's game. He's got deep range. You hear the Steph Curry comparisons a lot. Some of that is fair. Some of it, I think, is getting to be honestly already trite and cliché. Uh, Trey Young is doing things at the college level already that Steph Curry did not even approach. So he is fantastic and has gone from, if we had had this conversation, if you just said in the middle of October, tell me about Trey Young, I would have said if he is, if he is really good in his freshman season, he'll be a two and done player. If he were to come out after his freshman year, I bet that he would be a late forties pick at absolute best. Now we are in a situation where Trey Young has to be if you are a GM or a scout and don't have Trey Young uh, as a top 10 pick on your draft board, that's probably negligence. Even if there are bigger, longer, stronger, more athletic players above him, he is doing things at the college level that have not been done. And 
we can't have you get burned, and I'm, I'm speaking of you, of the scout and the GM that would be in position to draft him, and then didn't the way that, what, five, six teams, most notably Minnesota, did not take Steph Curry uh, that season. And Steph Curry had very much proved himself through three years of college, and still there were questions which at the time seemed reasonable, but you see what Curry has become. Trey Young can be an alteration of the Curry model, and if he is able to keep this up, there is no reason why he should not be a top-ten pick. And if he is a top-ten pick, yes, he is going to be one and done, which was not the expectation going in of Oklahoma staff. They thought they'd have him for at least two years, but instead he has turned into a rock star and someone that is must-see TV every single time he plays. Yeah, there is yeah, a scenario, I think. I have to check this for sure, but I think there's a scenario. It's either the Bucks trade. I think it's the Bucks trade where – the uh the, the first round pick this year could is it like between seven and fifteen something like that it goes to the Suns um and so there's a potential where they could have their own pick at three or two and maybe get Trey Young at between seven and fifteen something like that um and so there's potential they could get both of those guys maybe a Bamba and and Trey or something like that which would be really helpful to the rebuild. Um, which uh, what players do you think will go best with Booker and Jackson? Oh man. Um, well, let me ask you real quick because I haven't watched any Suns games. How's Jackson doing? Um, he has really good open floor instincts. He is getting stronger. He's attentive, though. Um, not I don't know. It's, it's weird. It comes to mind not as explosive as I thought. He still gets there. I can see he's going to be a very good player in three or four years. Um, we're ta- feels like Iguodala to me, maybe not quite as smart in that in the basketball IQ sense. Right. He's he's quite good. He's perfectly paired with Booker, who is just blowing up right now. So yeah, I mean he's injured right now, but he's he was tied when he got injured with the most thirty point games with Giannis Antetokounmpo and LeBron. So I think Sexton, who you know people say Sexton is one of the most competitive players they've ever seen on the circuit, and you know who they compare him to when that comes to that is Josh Jackson. I'd love to see both of those guys play on the same roster together, and I think that Sexton would pair really, really well with uh, with Booker at this point. And then you need a, you certainly need a big. It would be great if you could keep eight local. Um, just his, his skill set, um, and you'd have defense there with Sexton and Jackson. Um, uh, you know, and Booker's it, not bad anymore. Oh, he isn't. Okay, that's well, he's not. Hor- he's not. He's a slightly below league ra- league average, I'd say. Okay. Um, those are the two that come to mind that I think would be uh, the most interesting and I think would fit pretty well if you're able to get Aiton and Sexton. But that's, again, if. If you can even get two. So. For sure. So, it's I mean, it's it's somewhat tenuous to see if they can get both. But uh, was there any players that I missed? Because I'm not sure. I mean, there's uh, Kevin Knox, no, I mean, I'll, I'll run a quick, uh, few more here to keep an eye on as we as we head into uh, the, the part of the conference season. Um, Robert Williams of Texas A&M is not a big name, but uh, he is a – undersized power forward that's really athletic that is probably going to earn a really nice paycheck for a decade in the NBA and never be the number one, two, or three guy on his team, but is just going to be a freaking glass eater, really good defender, opportunistic kind of player that whoever drafts him on draft night, the fan base isn't going to be wowed by him, but he is he's going to be worth it, man. He's going to be a, he's a lottery pick in my opinion. Kevin Knox at Kentucky is similar to Michael Porter in that he's a three or a four. A three or a four, and whereas in Porter's instance, I actually think Porter will thrive more as a three. I actually think Knox might thrive more as a four. Um, he is 
smart with the ball. He's playing a lot of minutes for Kentucky. Uh, I think he's got a pretty solid shot at being a lotto pick because he's their best player, and um, Kentucky always gets a lottery pick. So he might be their only one, but it's, he's a guy to keep an eye on. Macal Bridges and Jalen Brunson at Villanova are two guys to watch. Whereas Trey Young has taken off, Brunson hasn't quite the same. Jalen Brunson should go in the first round of the NBA draft this season, in my opinion. He should be a top 30 pick. I don't know if he is on uh, draft boards to that extent at this point. But he absolutely should be, in my opinion. Bridges has been long seen as a prospect who would be better in the NBA than he was in college. But Bridges is actually starting to play really, really well at the college level. And both of them have been fantastic. And then um, I guess I'll leave you with uh, Bruce Brown at Miami, who's a very talented shooting guard, very talented player. Miami's got a chance to be the best team in the ACC. And with that, um, he could have an under-the-radar awesome year and then be the kind of guy that goes in the lottery that you're not totally, totally familiar with, I think he's going to adapt well to the NBA game. And I think that he'll be a two-and-done player. He's a sophomore right now and a true shooting guard. Two more quick questions. Um, what do you think of what, Grayson Allen? I don't remember how, what you think of him, but he's, I think he's got to be entering the draft this year, right? Yeah, he's a senior, so he's got to go. And uh, so Grayson is a, is an interesting case because of how good Bagley's been. Um, I think the best case for Grayson is – 22 to 25, and I think the worst case is uh, if he stumbles and staggers a bit, he falls into the 50s. I think he actually still has a pretty wide range at this point. Um, I don't know where he is on mock drafts. I haven't looked at mock drafts at this point. Like, what is he? What is he? He's a shooting guard. Well, in the NBA, like, what is he's a role player. He's a yes. He is a he is a active, energetic, athletic. uh, Come in, give you three to four minutes role player that I think will stick in the league for seven to nine years and, you know, leave with averages of, say, nine points, four rebounds, three assists a game, something like that. What did you think about that call? I think it was Sexton and uh, playing three on five. Yeah, that happened when I was in Portland, so I didn't even see that game, but that was Bama against Minnesota. Minnesota won the game, but Bama had three players, and Sexton was one of the three, and he ended up the game with 40. That's wild. Yeah, I saw that they, game because – they Part were of the down, and then they got they came back more yeah, with only three them. players. Yes, Alabama outscored Minnesota over in over ten minutes of game time with just three players. That's the part of that's like the origin story of Colin Sexton. If he winds up being like a seven-time All Star or something like that, the uh, the first story people talk about is when he went three on five against a team, put up forty, and helped outscore the other team. Crazy. Yeah, I mean that's gonna be said during every single time that they're that him and his NBA team is being blown at or blowing somebody out. For ten years, uh, it's kind of amazing though because at the high school and college levels, it's possible to come back three on five, but not in the NBA. There's just too many good players. Yep, for sure. Um, anything? Any other interesting storylines before we get out of here? I think we about covered it, man. We'll save uh, we'll save the rest for uh, after the season once we've uh, we'll circle back to this. You know, kind of remember what we've hit on here, and then uh, undoubtedly, what's going to be the fun part is there's going to be you know two, three, four players we did not talk about on this podcast that we're going to have to talk about on their next podcast when we talk in the spring because uh, they'll move up the draft boards. And there are certain guys right now that are seen as top 10 picks that I think will fall out. Although I will say I, it's hard for me to see how too many of those guys that are top 10 projected picks right now will fall out of the lottery. I just I think at this point a lot of these guys are, are pretty well set. They, see, they do seem like pretty good locks. Uh, have anything to anything to push here before we uh, get out I of here? I do not. I only have to push that for anyone that is listening to this podcast because I was on it. You want to follow uh, my my man here, Eric Saar. We are cousins. We are on opposite sides of the country, but uh, me in Connecticut and him in Arizona. But he is on Twitter at Eric 
underscore SAR, and SAR is S-A-A-R. And if you are into the NBA, um, I do highly recommend you uh, subscribe to his podcast and give it a listen. He uh, he works hard. He does it right. He gets some good guests on, and uh, it's just it's worth an overall listen. So if you came for me, um, stay for Eric. Uh, he you know he's uh, he's doing it in a in a humble and in the uh, the right way. And uh, as always, buddy, it's great to be on with you. Thanks again, Matt. Thanks so much for your time. Yes, uh, everybody, please check out the podcast. I had Alan Williams Sun Center on last week. I had uh, Michael uh, Lee of Yahoo the Vertical a couple weeks ago. Eddie Johnson, Suns commentator. Had people from ESPN, uh, CBS, uh, every, everywhere. So uh, definitely take that out. Check that out. Also, um, I'm Impact Certified. So if you know anybody in Arizona who is looking to get trained in basketball, I have a company called Elite Hoops Development to train them. I have a couple clients looking to get some more. If you have any questions, just let me know. Uh, thanks again. Thanks again, Matt. And have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye.